blessing to be here. Thank the Lord for the sweet fellowship and God knitting our hearts, especially with the pastor and family and the staff here. Just thank the Lord for this church and its dedication to the cause of Christ. It's an honor and a privilege to be here and to be with the missionaries. Thank you for that presentation, Brother Morgan. It was a great job really expressing your heart and your burden for the people of Japan. And I'm so thankful for the Morgans and all the missionaries that are with us this week. Would you go with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 5? Gospel of Luke chapter 5. I've been here since Wednesday. Uh, pastor brought me in a little early and uh, presented my testimony on Wednesday night and then preached chapels on Thursday morning. Some have asked about my testimony. Uh, if you go to my websites on my prayer card, uh, in, there's some drop-downs. There's two websites, and you'll find my testimony uh, in the audio-visual uh, drop-down, and you should be able to see it there. Luke chapter 5, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? I'm going to begin reading at the first verse of Luke chapter 5 down to the 11th verse. I'll read aloud as you follow in silence this evening. I ask for your prayers, uh, not just for tonight, but uh, I fly home on Monday, and then Wednesday I head for Eastern Europe. I'll be in Hungary, Romania, uh, Bulgaria, and then we're going into the Ukraine. We've made 26 trips into the Ukraine, our staff has already, taking humanitarian aid, leading people to Christ, outdoor services. We're in a, we're in a position to plant churches in the Ukraine, and it looks like uh, the Ukrainians are, going to, Ukrainians are going to be victorious, and that's what we needed in order for us to be able to plant these churches. So please pray for the Roma Outreach Mission Association and all our missionaries. Luke chapter 5, beginning at the first verse, I'll read aloud as you follow in silence this evening. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him, that's Jesus, to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were going out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all, and followed him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Gracious Heavenly Father, as I bowed so many times standing behind the sacred desk that you've given to another man, I don't take it a light thing. I know the seriousness of the moment. I know that pastor would not yield this pulpit to just anyone. And as a result, Father, of that, I want to honor this pulpit I want to honor the pastor, but most important of all, I want to honor you. And Father, I can't do this without you. I am mere man, I'm feeble, I'm handicapped. 
But I trust in you, Lord, that you will take control of me and use me for thy glory. And help me to preach your word, Lord, to be an encouragement, a challenge, Lord, and if necessary, by the blessed Holy Spirit, to bring some area in conviction in someone's life. And so, Father, there are many needs here represented tonight, and I believe you can satisfy them all through your word and the blessed Holy Spirit. Hide me behind the cross and glorify yourself. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen, and you may be seated. For those of you who have not heard my testimony, I'm just going to give a brief version of it because it goes along with the message. I am a fourth-generation gypsy here in the United States, raised here in America in a traditional gypsy home, married within the gypsy culture, and um, my late wife, Dolly, was a fortune teller, and I was a con man in a traveling carnival. First week of October, October 4th, to be exact, as Brother Moon sang about, someone told me about Jesus, and God dramatically changed my life. And uh, I believe in a gospel that saves a man. I believe in a gospel that keeps a man saved. And I believe in a gospel that changes the way a man lives. And God began to make dramatic changes in my life. And the rest is history. We got involved in a good independent Baptist church in southwest Ohio uh, until God called me to preach and I was trained for ministry. Now, I said that to say this, that I am of the first of my tribe of gypsy to be saved. And when I, I know some people look at me when I say gypsy because to gypsies it's derogatory, but not many people knew the politically correct name until recently. We are the Roma people, but most of you or a lot of you don't know that, so I'll interchangeably use the term gypsy or Roma. But we, I was the first of my tribe of gypsy, the Risteste tribe. Our leader was a man by the name of Rista, so we were possessive of Rista. We were the Risteste, which is an offshoot of a main tribe called the Caldarash, the pot makers of Eastern Europe. My wife was of a tribe of gypsy that came from Greece, called my late wife, uh, called the Gurkuria, or the Greek gypsies, because they came from the Athens area. And we were the first of our two tribes of gypsies. And back in those days, to become a Christian in our culture was just like being a man from another planet. And so we were ostracized from our culture, especially when we took a chainsaw to the fortune-telling sign. I said this in my testimony, what the American flag is to you and I, the gypsy fortune-telling sign is to them. It's a symbol of their identity. And when we took a chainsaw to that fortune-telling sign, our culture thought that we were abandoning them. And as a result, they abandoned us. And we were ostracized from our culture. And in those days, that ostracization called, caused us to dig deep roots in the local church. And uh, I say this many times. Many church members of our church are closer to us than blood relatives. And, uh, but we got a burden for reaching our own family with the gospel. And after they watched us under a magnifying glass to see whether we would survive uh, leaving those uh, forms of income, and they began to see our testimony. You know, I always say, you got to gain a man's ear before you can gain his heart. The gospel enters here. And so they began to lend us their ear, and I led my father to the Lord. I led my mother. I led my two sisters, my brother to the Lord, aunts and uncles. I'm here to proclaim to you that my entire family is under the blood of the Lord Jesus, except one uncle, and I'm still praying for him and still witnessing. Are they at the spiritual maturity I'd like them to be? No. Are they attending churches like I'd like them to attend? No, but I believe they're going to heaven. 
my wife's entire family, my late wife's entire family is under the blood of the Lord Jesus. Now I give that testimony just to share with you tonight that you can reach your families with the gospel. We like to use that excuse that a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. But you know what? It's not your honor that you're presenting. It is the honor of the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll exalt him and allow him to be seen in our life. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. That is the very heart of my ministry, to lift up Jesus so that he can draw men unto himself. So we see, we saw our families come to Christ. We began witnessing to the gypsies of Cleveland, Ohio in 1990 where we started our first ministry. We left Southwest Ohio, went up to Northeast Ohio, planted our first gypsy ministry at the Cleveland Baptist. Now, so that you can understand gypsy ministries in America, it'd be like you in your Spanish ministry. It's an extension of this church. It's not a church within a church. It's part of Shawnee Baptist Church, but you're reaching your Jerusalem and the demographics of your Jerusalem. And so when I went to Doc Thompson, the Cleveland Baptist Church, I'm sure Brother Williams remembers Doc Thompson. I said, hey, Doc, you got gypsies in your community. He didn't know it. I said, I'm a fully supported missionary. I'll reach him for you, and we'll get him into the church. And Doc Thompson gave me a set of keys and said, go at it. And we began reaching the gypsies of Cleveland. And they got saved, and they came out of fortune-telling in those more illegal, lucrative forms of income. And that ministry will celebrate 32 years as the ministry of the Cleveland Baptist Church this coming November. And then on to Miami, Florida, and establishing ministries. Then began making trips into Eastern Europe in 1995. And you heard the testimony last night of our first convert, uh, Gitsa Feketa, when he received the Lord Jesus Christ. And God began to give us fruit for his glory and for his honor. Uh, the Bible says, uh, Jesus said, here it is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. And once I moved into the disciple category and said I was going to become a follower of Jesus, Jesus expected me to bear fruit for him. And I say that to say this, that we come to each and every service with an expectation of people being saved. We go out soul winning, expecting for people to be saved. You know the old adage, aim for nothing, guaranteed you'll hit it. Hello? And so we, we believe that God is moving when the gospel is presented. We believe that God and the Holy Spirit is moving when God's word is preached. And we expect activity at the altars of God. And sometimes our invitations in Doc Williams, I say it without exaggeration, sometimes at our gypsy services, specifically in Eastern Europe, our invitations are as long as the service is, as people continually come forward to receive Jesus Christ. Now, I could dominate this service with salvation testimonies and soul-winning testimonies and, and service testimonies of people getting saved. And I'll just mention a few. I preached at an a, a all-gypsy church in Pusta Valley, Romania, and the auditorium was probably about half the size as this auditorium, and it was standing room only. The weather was nice, and windows were open, doors were open, people were outdoors. The auditorium was so full that we couldn't get off the platform, me and my team. I always take my team with me, especially so that we could follow up on those who make decisions. And I preached and I gave the invitation and 30 souls were saved in that service. And one elderly man came forward and, and when they go back to their seats, I have my, my staff go to them or follow them to where they're sitting to get their information so that we could follow up on them. And one was an elderly grandfather. He sat way back in this corner and his granddaughter was over in this corner. And uh, so they were writing the names and putting them in the book. And the little granddaughter stood up and said, hey, Grandpa, is your name in the book? 
And, uh, and he hollered out and he said, no, not yet, sweetie, but my name is going to be in the book. But when he knelt here and received Christ, his name got put in the book. Amen. And just, we just expect for people to be saved at every service. We come to each and every meeting with an anticipation and expecting for souls to be saved. And God has given us a great multitude of precious souls who have received Christ. A great multitude for his glory and, our, and his honor. In our text we see that these fishermen had a great catch, did they not? As they cast the nets, they brought in a, a great catch. But, but I believe that Jesus is using uh, some symbolism here. I believe that this was more of an of a object lesson for these men to realize that they were being called to be fishers of men. And that's what he said. And so the story is not necessarily about fishing. God is not giving us a lesson in how to get a great catch of fish. Watch now. He's giving us a lesson on how to get a great catch of souls for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. How does it happen? Jesus said if we follow him, we become fishers of men. Verse 10 in our text says that we would catch men. Matthew chapter 4 verse 19 says, follow me and I will make you the fishers of men. Now let me pose some questions tonight. Are the days of a great multitude of souls being saved over? And sometimes I truly believe we independent fundamental Baptists are just growing through the motions. Wind us up, we go to church. Wind us up, we sing the songs. Wind us up, we'll give the tithe and the missions giving. Don't tell anybody, wind us up, we'll preach. It's not supposed to be that way. Jesus said the fields are white unto harvest, but the labors are few. And so is the white harvest that Jesus told us about past? Are we to rob the Father of glory by not bearing much fruit? The answer to all of this is an absolute and resounding no. And I want to take our text tonight and preach this message symbolically like Jesus was presenting it. Fishermen are symbolized here as soul winners, as preachers, as evangelists and missionaries. Fish are represented as souls, and I believe that I can take some hermeneutical liberty here and answer the question of why we are not catching a great multitude. Now, you've only heard me preach one time, but I think you've learned that I'm a Bible preacher. And uh, the reason is because God's called us to be Bible preachers, but I have nothing else to give you but the Word of God. You don't want my philosophies, you don't want my opinions, you want the Word of God. So if you'll follow along with me in the Scriptures, God will reveal to you some wonderful truths as He revealed them, revealed them to me. Number one, I want you to see the problems of why we're not catching a great multitude. You'll find three problems in the second verse. Look what it says. Here's what Jesus saw. He saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were going out of them, and they were washing their nets. If we can symbolize fish as souls, uh, fishermen as soul winners, then I believe we can use ships to symbolize the local church. And what did Jesus see? He saw two ships standing. They were idle, standing by the lake. Ships are standing idle. Churches are standing idle in the sea of lost souls. Some are just standing idle, just doing general maintenance. They're just keeping the boat afloat, so to speak. They look like fishing boats, but they're not catching any fish. They don't have the smell of the salty seas on their sails, nor the aroma of fresh fish on their decks. These are not the days to be idle. The master said, why stand you here all the day long idle? The fit, number one, the ships are standing idle. The local churches are standing idle. Number, problem number two, what does it say? And the fishermen were gone. Many a missionary will tell you 
that missionaries are coming off the field and the replacements are not there. And during this COVID thing, we lost a lot of missionaries. We lost, a, even our mission board, Roma, lost a lot of missionaries on deputation. In the midst of deputation, they couldn't get into churches to present their works, and many of them just quit. I wrote many of the churches and, and told, the, told them that if they had some of our missionaries coming in, to go ahead and send them that love offering, and then when they get into the church, they don't have to give them another love offering. But the fishermen are gone. Many true fishermen are tired and they're worn from working all night long. Look at verse 5. Look what Simon, a great fisherman, said. He said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. The fishermen are tired. The missionaries are tired. I say it sometimes and I hate to confess it. Sometimes I get mentally tired. Sometimes I get physically tired. And I'm sad to say that sometimes I get spiritually tired. Some people say, Brother Stevens, how old are you? I say, I'm 67 in years, but I'm 80 in mileage. Been around the block a couple times. And we need missionary replacements. Uh, the, the, the fishermen are gone. The days of great catches of fish are, are gone. There. And many of missionaries are just going through the motions, not expecting any true results. Some are discouraged, thinking that the fish are not biting anymore. So problem number one, the ships of the local churches are standing idle. Problem number two, the fishermen are gone. Look at problem number three. You see it in verse two, the last phrase. What did he see? Two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were going out of them, and they were washing their nets. If we can liken fish to souls, fishermen to soul winners, ships to churches, what do we liken the net to? We liken it to the gospel. It's what we must cast in order to bring into the souls, bring in souls. We cast the gospel net. And many churches now are just using the gospel net as a prop. It's a showpiece. Uh, I live in Florida, and many northerners, when they move to Florida, they take a room of, where they're, of their home, and they decorate it in a nautical motif. And they'll have a, a ship's helms for lamps, and, and they'll take a net, and they'll hang it on the wall, and they'll put some starfish and some shells in there. And that's okay to get that nautical motif, but that net hanging on the wall wasn't designed to hang on a wall. You all with me? And many times we take the gospel net and hang it on the wall as, as a showpiece. I mean, we're an independent fundamental Baptist church, so we got to have a KJV and we got the, the gospel net. But watch now, they both need to be used. They both need to be utilized by the way God designed them to be used. The gospel net needs to be cast, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is the net. It's more than a showpiece, and we've gotten the gospel down to a net. We've got, got it down to a science. We've crossed the T's and dot the I's. We teach seminars on how to cast the gospel net. The gospel is still catching the souls of lost men, women, and boys and girls. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes. If we'll be faithful to cast the gospel net, we'll bring in those lost souls for Jesus. If only we'll be faithful. Do any of these problems apply to you? Are you catching great multitude? Now, you know what I like about the Lord Jesus and his word is that he doesn't just show us problems. He shows us how to solve problems. And in verse 2, we saw two, three problems. The ships were standing idle. The fishermen were gone. And the nets were hanging up to dry. But I want you to show the procedure that God shows us how to solve those three problems. And you'll find it in verse 3. 
And he, tell me who he is, and he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed in that he was thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Here are the procedures. Here's how we solve the problems of ships standing idle. Here's how we solve the problems of the fishermen gone. Here's how we solve the problem of the gospel net just becoming a showpiece in our churches. Are you ready? Say, we're ready, preacher. Number one, we need to invite the master of the sea into our ship. Yes, sir. It's all about Jesus. Yes. He better be the center of it all. I have a sixth grade education, I've mentioned, and so I'm always trying to increase my vocabulary words. Uh, Simone has a college education. Sometimes she'll say some word I never heard before, and I'll say, Simone, what does that word mean? And she'll teach me what that word means, or I'll Google it. And I heard a word several years ago. And that word is Christocentric. You know what that word means? Christ at the very center. Do you know what happens to me? I get so busy in the work of God that I forget about the God of the work. It's about Jesus. He's the foundation of it all. There's no other foundation which is laid, which can be laid, which is Jesus Christ. It's all about Christ. He better be the center of all. And we need to invite him into our ship. You say, preacher, don't you know that Jesus said where two or three are gathered? He's in his name. Well, let me ask you something. Have you ever, ever been invited to a social gathering and when you got there you were totally ignored? Huh? Yeah, he's here, but he can be totally ignored. Help me, church. We need to invite the master of the sea into our ship. He, he is the... Now watch now. This was Peter's boat. Look at, verse, look at verse 3. And he entered into one of the ships, which was... Help me, church. Now, if you know anything about nautical law, you cannot board a vessel without the captain's permission. Hello? Permission to come aboard? Permission granted, permission denied. This is Peter's boat. Jesus couldn't come on that boat unless he was invited. Look what it says, verse 3. And he entered in one of the ships, which was Simon's. So we need to invite the master of the sea. Matthew 8, 27 says about Jesus, the men marveled, saying, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? He's the master of the sea. He's the master of the fishes. And the fishes and souls fall into two categories. Dead fishes and living fishes. Matter of fact, Ephesians says, you as he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And it was a living fish that Jesus told to jump on Peter's hook so they could pay taxes. Hello. And Jesus fed the 5,000 with dead fish. He's the master of the fishes. And without him we can do nothing. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If we're going to solve the problems of ships being idle, fishermen's gone, and the gospel net hanging up to dry, we need to invite the master of the sea into our ship. There's another thing he tells us to do here. I want you to look at verse 3. Remember, we're solving the problems. These are the procedures to solve the problems. The problems are in verse 2. The procedures are in verse 3. Look what it says. And he entered one of the ships, which is Simon's. Watch now. And prayed him that he would thrust out a little from land. The word prayed there means he asked him. He asked the captain of that ship 
to thrust out a little bit from land. Number two, here's the second thing we need to do. You ready? Say, we're ready, preacher. We need to start rowing at the master's command. You want to know the problem with most Christians? Their boat is still tied to the dock. Hello. Their boat is still tied to the dock. We talked about Acts 16 last night when the Apostle Paul saw the Macedonian vision. And Luke says it like this, after they had seen the Macedonian vision, it says, watch now, they loosed from Troas, setting straight course for Semithriasia and the next day to Neapolis. You know what they did? They untied their boat and they set sail. Most Christians are still at the shoreline. You want to know why? It's safe. Hello. It's safe. If the winds start blowing, you can run home. Hello. It's safe at the shoreline. But boy, we want these missionaries to cast out, don't we? We want them to untie their boat and go represent us in Thailand and Nigeria and Japan. We want them to untie their ship and set sail for the regions beyond. We're not going to see the blessings of God. Listen to me, church. We are not going to see the blessings of God upon our lives and upon our ministries and upon our churches until we launch out into the deep. We launch out by faith. That's what these missionaries do. Watch what it says in verse 3. And he, and he entered one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out what? Help me. A little from the land. You know, it just takes to go out a little bit. He's not telling you to jump out right away like these missionaries have done. He's saying to thrust out a little from the land. But first it will be shallow water. What will happen in the shallow water? Watch what it says here. Look at verse 3. Thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. You know what will happen in the shallow water? You'll learn. He'll teach you. What will he teach you about? He'll teach you about the fish. Hello. He'll teach you about the ship. Hello. He'll teach you about the gospel net. You all with me? Say amen. He'll teach you. You'll learn. But after you've been trained, watch now, church. After you've been trained in the shallow waters of faith, watch now. He wants you to launch out into the deep look at verse 4. Now, when he had left speaking, he's done teaching. Help me, church. Verse 3, he taught. He's done teaching. Look at verse 4. When he had left speaking, he said, he's not asking Simon anymore. Verse 4 is not a, a, a request. Verse 4 is a command. Help me, church. He prayed him in verse 3. He asked. He wanted permission to come aboard Simon's vessel. He told, asked the captain of the ship to thrust out a little from land. He, and he taught them from the ship. But watch now. In verse 4, he's given a command. What's that command? Watch now. When he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, he said to the captain, watch now, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. Listen, Christian, God is expecting us to untie our boats from the dock and go out into the deep waters. Watch now, because in the deep waters is where the big catch is. There's no big catch at the shallow water. I'm a fisherman. I'm a fisherman, and it's out there in the deep where you get the big fish. Hello? Launch out in the deep and let down your nets for a draft. This is where the big catch is. And you know what will happen out in the deep waters? This is where you'll see the wonders of God. Amen. The word wonder and miracle in the Bible is interchangeable. It means the same thing. I won't, I won't want you to go there, but I'll read it to you. Psalm chapter 107. Listen closely. Psalm chapter 107, verses 23 and 24. They that go down to the ships that do business in great waters or deep waters. Watch now verse 24. These 
see the works of God and his wonders in the deep. There are no miracles at the shoreline. There are no miracles in shallow water. Because you don't have to live by faith. But God says, launch out into the deep. It's in the deep waters of faith that you see the works of God and His wonders in the deep. Let me ask you, Christian, when's the last time you've seen a miracle in your life? When's the last time you've seen a wonder in your finances, in your marriage, with your children, in your ministry? When's the last time you've seen a miracle? You will see no miracles at the shoreline. You need to go out into the deep waters of faith. And so you say, well, preacher, you're expecting us to jump out. You want us to just jump out in the deep waters of faith like these missionaries did. No, maybe God will have you go out like Ezekiel went out. Brother Williams knows how Ezekiel went out. How do you go out? He went out to the water ankle deep. Maybe that's all you can do. Maybe that's how much faith you have is just to go out ankle deep. It's okay. It's okay. You're, you're leaving the shoreline. You're untying the boat. But Ezekiel didn't stop at ankle deep, did he? Went out to it was knee-high. Maybe that's how much faith you have now. You'll go out to knee-high waters. Maybe God's given you faith to go out to its waist-high. huh? And maybe God has given you the faith to go out where you can't touch bottom. Watch now, where the big boys swim. Huh? I know about you, preacher. I want to swim out there where the big boys swim. You want to know why I want to go out there where the big boys swim? These see the works of God and his wonders within the deep. I work with gypsy people. If there's ever been a race of people, I'm talking about a race of people who have been held by the clutches of the devil, it's my people. Fortune tellers, drug addicts, thieves, con men, prostitutes, on and on and on. Watch now. I need a miracle working God. Amen. I need a, I need a God who's going to do wonders. I need a God who's going to do, and I'm watching him. I'm watching, brothers. I'm watching those gypsies being set free. I'm watching them come out of the fortune telling. I'm watching them come out of prostitution. I'm watching them come out of drug addiction. I'm watching them come out of, why? Because we went out into the deep waters of faith. Oh, you'll swim out there for a while, but then you get tired. And you know what happens when you get tired? You have to trust God. I got a, that's good. I got it, that's right. How about an amen? amen. Oh, would the God people go out in the deep waters, preacher? What could we do? What, what, could we, what could Shawnee Baptist Church do if everybody would just untie their boat? You want to know how you start untying that boat? With that faith promise commitment card. You say, preacher, I don't like that faith promise commitment card. It's okay if you don't like it. Just fill it out. Hello. You say, I don't know what to put on it. Ask the Holy Spirit. He'll tell you. Here's my philosophy of filling out a faith promise card. God gives you money. Go up a, an increment above. God gives you a number. Go up a number above. Are you catching that? God gives you a number. Go one up. You know what that means? That's deep water. Because true biblical faith promise is you giving out of what you have. Oh, it's quiet in here now. It is unlike the character of God to expect you to give something you do not have. But it is like the character of God to expect you to give that which you do have. 
And with you by faith, fill out that card, giving out of what you have. You say, how am I going to eat? Well, you study faith promise. God says he gives bread to those. He supplies bread to those who give. You say, well, I'm not sure it works, preacher. Well, let's see. Let's ask these missionaries if it works. Huh? Let's ask their supporters if it works. Ask this preacher if it works. It works because it's a biblical plan. God does not expect you to give that which you do not have. Let me illustrate this for you. Elijah is the man of the hour. He's God's servant. He has prayed for it not to rain, and it has not rained for over three years. Why? Because of a wicked king called Ahab and a wicked queen called Jezebel. We know the story, don't we? And how is God taking care of Elijah? Miraculously. Because he's living in the deep waters of faith. The ravens are bringing him food. He's drinking from the waterbeds. And everything dries up, and God tells Elijah to go to a widow woman. Hello? Come on, Sunday school class. You all know the story. And what did God tell Elijah was going to happen when he go to the widow woman? He said, she will sustain you. He's going there for sustenance. When he gets there, do you remember what she was doing? She was collecting some sticks. She was going to make a cake, and her and her son was going to die. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read Bible stories, I jump in. Hello? I I was there. I saw it. And you know what? That little boy, he looked pretty bad. You know those infomercials about kids in in Africa starving, how their their stomachs are inflated, their heads look really big. It's only because their faces are shrunk in, flies are around their head, and their lips are parched. He looked like that, but Mama looked worse because if there was anything to eat, Junior got it. And so they're going to have their last meal. And here comes Elijah. And what does he say to the widow woman? Make me a little cake first. All the audacity of that missionary. (laughs) Taking food from a dying mama and a dying boy's mouth. Now, Elijah knew something that the widow woman didn't know. Elijah wasn't going there for an afternoon snack, was he? What was he going there for? sustenance. But what did the widow woman know? That's Elijah. Everybody knew who Elijah was. And so what did she give? She gave Elijah two cakes. She didn't give two cakes. Why? She didn't have two cakes. How many did she have? She gave that which she had because God doesn't expect you to give that which you do not have. But he does expect you to give that what you do have. And she gave how much of that cake? 100% of it. Watch now. And God began to bless. And the cruise of oil didn't empty. The barrel of meal didn't waste away until the famine was lifted off the land. Give and it shall be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. That's a promise of God. I didn't write Luke 6.38. God did. Press down. What does that mean, press down? How many remember hand-packed ice cream? Raise your hand if you remember hand-packed ice cream. Or you just gave away your age. I lived on Main Street in Belfountain, Ohio. My mom was the fortune teller, lived on an elevation across from the army. Everybody knew where the gypsy fortune teller was. And just down the road from us was Hopewell Dairy. And uh, 
As I was coming home from school, many times mom would tell me in the morning, bring back a quart of hand-packed ice cream. And I'd go into Hopewell Dairy, and I'd tell the guy, I need a quart of whatever flavor we were getting. And he'd take this round cylinder of a carton, Brother Moon. If you remember, they had a metal ring at the bottom. And he'd start putting ice cream in there. And he'd get to the top, and you'd think he was done. And he'd press down. He'd press down. He'd get some more in there, preacher. And when you think it was done, he'd press down some more. And he'd get some more ice cream. How does God want to give to you? Press down. He wants to give to you shaken together. What does that mean? Well, when we were in the carnival business, we would go back to our travel trailer, we'd count the night's proceeds, and we had a little folding table, and my late wife and I would sit at that table, and we'd count the money, and if there was change, coin that came in that was unwrappable, our, our, our agreement was that my late wife would get all that unwrappable change. That was hers. It was her, whatever she wanted to do with it. And she had a, a five-gallon metal milk jug. Remember the ones that had the metal lids on top? And so she would scoop that off, and sometimes I think she took a little bit more than was unwrappable. But by the fall of the season, that milk jug was full. I mean, it's, it's getting to the end of the carnival season. But Dolly was smart. She'd go to that milk jug, and she'd shake it. And the coins would lower so she gets some more in there. God wants to give to you pressed down, shaken together. I don't have to explain running over. You know what that means. We are supposed to give because God challenges us to give. We're supposed to go out in the deep waters of faith. We're supposed to go out there where we can't touch bottom, that we can trust him. It was William Faulkner who said, you cannot swim for new horizons until you have courage to lose sight of the shoreline. Therefore, loosing from Troas. There's three procedures to solving the three problems in Luke 2. We've covered two of those procedures. Invite the master of the sea into the ship, start rowing at the master's command, and, and then number three, drop down your nets at the master's command. Look at verse five. And Simon answering said, and Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down thy net. Drop the nets at the master's command. Get them wet with the water of the word. By faith, drop nets. If you have some doubt, drop a net, but drop something. We're hard on Peter, aren't we? Because he didn't drop nets, but he dropped something. Are you following the procedure? And then I want you to see the produce of it all. Look at verse 6. And when they had this done, they enclosed the great multitude of fishes and their net break. What do the fish really represent in our story? It represents souls. There is the product. When we solve the problems, when we follow the procedures, there's a product, and the product is enclosing a multitude of fishes. When we're obedient by faith to God's plan, to God's procedure, what does it say? And when they had this done, they followed the plan, they obeyed his word. What did Peter say? Nevertheless, I thy word because you said so Jesus whether I understand it whether I agree with it whether I like it makes no difference Peter was a professional fisherman he knew when the fish were biting he knew when they weren't he had toiled all night he's ready to go home mama's waiting for him with breakfast the nets are clean hanging out to dry the day's over the night's over but because Jesus said so he cast the net. And when we do, we'll enclose the great multitudes in the net of the gospel because the master knows where the fish are. Yeah. If we'll go in obedience to faith, the master will bring the great multitude of 
Fishes to you. God has blessed our ministries. I stand amazed, Pastor, that he's allowed me to be just a small speck of it all. Stand amazed. He directed us to the fish. We followed his plan and cast his nets, and therefore he gave us a great, a great catch. Now I want you to look at the partnership. Look at verse 7. There's a partnership. And they beckoned unto their, tell me, which were in the other ship. Ships represent what? Churches. That they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships. The partners of other ships or churches supporting missionaries made of partner fishermen who give from their ship to send other fishermen who go to help to bring in the catch of the great multitude. Brother Shook, you're sending ship or sending church is First Baptist Hammond, right? So First Baptist Hammond, that ship, sent you to this ship. Hello. And so that ship sent you here. Watch now. And when, when Shawnee Baptist gets behind him, watch now. Not only will Shawnee Baptist get a great catch, but in, in uh, uh, First Baptist Hammond will get a great catch. Who's your sending church, brother? Regency Baptist, where's that at? Uh, Sacramento area, California. Sacramento area, California. Your, your ship sent you here. His ship sent him here to your ship. Right? And so when you rally behind him as your ship and you invest in him, watch now, two ships get filled. Help me, please. His sending church gets filled. Your church gets filled. Watch now. There's a partnership in ministry. It's God's plan. It's God's design as we help missionaries to help. We give from our, look at Peter's partners. Look at verse 10. And so was also James and John the sons of Zebedee, which were partners. What's another name for the sons of Zebedee? Sons of Thunder. How would you like to have them for your partners? They witnessed the transfiguration. They, they were in the garden in Christ's greatest agony. And the lost souls of the world are, are a great multitude waiting to be caught. The missionaries are beckoning for help. What does verse 7 say? And they beckon unto their partners. These missionaries are here, they're beckoning. They come from their ships and they're beckoning to your ship to help them. They need help. Watch what it says. And they beckon unto their partners from the other ship that they should come and help them. Faith promises about helping and they fill both, both ships. Local churches and pastors helping, laborers to join the team. The burden is too great for a few alone. There are just too many fish to catch. Our nets are breaking. And we're losing some. Ships are sinking because of the burden of just a few ships. And the captain of the sea, our Savior, needs more fishermen. And I want you to see bottom line in verse 8 through 11. And when Simon Peter saw it, what do you see? You'll see the answer to that in verse 9. For he was astonished at all that were with him, and all that were with him, at the what? At the draft of the fishes which they had taken. Peter knew it was a miracle. He was astonished. Watch now. Go back to verse 8. And when Simon Peter saw his bottom line, and when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. The bottom line is praise. I'm going to surprise you with something, and you're not going to hear this from many independent fundamental Baptist preachers. It's not about souls. Quiet in here now. <laughs> You know what it's about? It's about worship. I win souls to worship him. 
I heard Dr. Charles King say this, he worships God from a platform of service. Hello? It's about praise. It's about when we win those souls, we say, thank you, Jesus, glory to your name. It's a miracle. We're astonished at every soul that's saved because the greatest miracle is when a soul gets saved. It is the suspension of the natural to perform that which is supernatural. For the natural man receiveth not the things of God, neither can he know them because they're spiritually certain. It's a miracle when a soul gets saved. And as Peter was astonished at this miracle, we're astonished at every soul that's saved. And we praise him. It's about his praise. The ultimate outcome is the praise and worship of our great God and King. The realization of our sin and our doubt. What does it say? Look at, and he was astonished. Uh, he says, depart from me in verse 8, for I am a sinful man. It's a recognition of our doubt. The consolation of Christ, not to be afraid anymore. He says at the end of verse 10, fear not. Fear not, because it was an object lesson. It wasn't about literal fish. It wasn't about real boats. It wasn't about being a real fisherman. Watch what it was. Fear not. From henceforth thou shalt catch men. He was speaking to these fishermen in language they understand. They understood fisherman talk. Aren't you glad that God talks to us in languages we can understand? The consolation of Christ not to be afraid anymore. The call of the master fisherman to become fishers of men. And after you had a catch like this, you'll never want to do anything else again. Look verse 11. And when they had brought the ships to land... Give me those next three words. These are professional fishermen. This is what they did all their life. They left them. Matter of fact, James and John left Zebedee in the ship. Help me, church. That's a big deal. It may not be a big deal in our culture today, but it was a big deal in their culture. To leave daddy in the boat. To leave the family business. They forsook all and followed him. You want to know why they followed him? They followed him because of who he was. But they followed him because they wanted to catch some more fish. They wanted more souls. I, uh, I moved to South Florida several years ago, 1997, and started gypsy ministry at New Testament Baptist Church where Dina Padron was for many years. Brother Williams knows Dr. Padron. And uh, Miami's a tough hustle, as they say. 256 different languages and dialects spoken, spoken in Miami. Uh, one newscaster once said, the first, last one out of Miami grabbed the flag. And so many different ethnic groups, voodoo is there, and, and it was just, just pulling me down. And I needed some recreation. I needed some amusement, no thinking. And so I, I, I like fishing, but I never caught a peacock bass before. Anybody know what a peacock bass is? It's a species of fish that was brought from Brazil to eat the algae out of the canals of South Florida. And so you, you catch them with a shiner. It's a large minnow. And matter of fact, the shiner does all the fishing. You just throw him in, and he, <laughs> he swims around until a peacock bass sees him. And, and the first time I hit my first peacock bass, he jerked that line, preacher. My heart started beating. Adrenaline started flowing all over my body. He did one of those things like in the fishing shows on TV, but in slow motion, he jumped out of the water like this. Now, they're called peacock, peacock bass because they're rainbow-colored, and they have a spot on their tail, and they're very aggressive. They're mean fish. And I brought him in. And after I caught my first peacock bass, you want to know what I wanted to do? 
I want to catch some more peacock grass. My wife would say to me when I get up in the morning, she'd say, where are you going? I said, I'm going fishing. She thought I was going soul winning. I was going fishing. <laughs> but I remember when I won my first soul to Christ. Amen. Sat down with him and opened the word of God. I watched his eyes fill up with tears and his jaw drop. My heart started beating. Adrenaline flowing all over the place. Brought him to the saving knowledge of Jesus. You know what I wanted to do after I led him to Christ? I wanted to catch some more. I wanted to catch some more. The great multitude. It can still happen. We got to solve the problems. We got to follow the procedures. We'll see the product. We'll have a partnership. That's what faith promises about. And the ultimate goal is praise and worship of our great God and King. Heads about and eyes are closed and no one's looking around. I think the invitation, as far as I'm concerned, would be obvious. The invitation would be coming to these altars and untying your boat. Coming to these altars and say, Lord, I have faith to go out ankle deep, or I have faith to go out knee deep, or I have faith to go out waist high, or I'm going to go out into the deep waters of faith. You're here tonight and you want to be a full-time fisherman. Catch souls for the Lord. Maybe you need to come tonight. Maybe you need to come pray for your faith promise. Let's stand, heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, bless this invitation.